Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about why man should not deal with his wife treacherously. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. The idea that your helper will bring to the table certain things that you lack, a different perspective. It'll be like a a different part of the puzzle piece that will come together with you and then it'll be complete. She's exactly what you need. God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So God is in this business of joining together. And who is identified as the one who is trying to tear it apart? Man. Now here's Tom Cantor as we finish our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Genesis series. So the first thing God does in preparation for this, uh, this union, this marriage here, is that he makes man feel the need. We talked about that last week. He, 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 he ha- it's almost like God has to wake up in Adam this need And so he says in verse 18, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate. But before he makes the woman, he goes and and does his verse 19 through 20 where uh, he, he makes the animals and brings them to Adam. So he put Adam in a real lonesome situation. He had to see and name all the little happy pairs of animals. And this creates or wakes up in Adam this longing for the woman. And that's expressed, as we said, when it says, for Adam there was not found to help meet for him. So that was his, his yearning. It was his yearning. Why did he do that? Because he wanted Adam in their relationship to go back to the memories or to be able to remember what it was like, the loneliness of it all. You know, the Lord does that with us as well. In Ephesians 2.11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. And, and he goes on, he says, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers and so forth. And then he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near, made nigh by the blood of Christ. So you see, the operation of memory is very important for God. So he wants us to never forget where we came from in terms of our salvation. And he also, for Adam, wants him to always remember what it was like without her. So many couples let their differences get out of control and break up their marriages because they just don't let love prevail. You know, it says there in 1 Peter 4, 8, love will cover a multitude of sins. Sometimes the multitude's bigger than others, but nevertheless, <laughs> love is gonna, says it'll cover them all. So God, first of all, puts Adam into a deep sleep. But God is a sculpture. And it's just like a sculpture who might have like a curtain in front of his great work. And he has to get it all ready. And you know, the sculpture loves for that moment when he can grab the curtain and throw it all back and say, look at that. And that's what God did. And so what happens here in verse 22 when it says, and he brought her unto the man. You can picture God saying, now look at this, Adam. You know, and, and uh, he hand delivers it to Adam. You know, and, so, and what's the first thing that Adam said when he saw Eve in verse 23? 
our friend who got married, we played a practical joke on him when he was going to kneel at the altar. We wrote on the bottom of his shoes, oh boy. And so, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he said, wow, she's like me. What could be better, right? And so he said, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? You could picture him dancing around. Maybe he sang that. Maybe this is the first song in the Bible that, that Adam was dancing around. He was so happy. So he calls her woman or Isha because she was taken from man. And the first thing he did in verse 23, he recognizes that she's just like him. And then what does he do? He calls her woman. He names her. He names her. Who named Eve? So God named Adam, and Adam named the woman. Adam, when he named, and Adam named the animals, and Adam, when he named the animals, took responsibility for the animals, so he names them. They're like under his care. So when Adam names Eve, he like takes responsibility for Eve. She's under his care, and he takes responsibility to lead her, to show her by love. You see, that's why it's so important when you see that verse, Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. So ought men to love their own wives, how? As their own bodies. What did Adam see? That's my bone. That's my flesh. She's, she's my bone. She's my flesh. And I love her. And this is what Ephesians is saying. You love as your own bodies. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes even the Lord of the church. And so as Adam saw Eve as himself, he could love her. So much divorce happens today because what is divorce? Divorce is a severing a severing of that concept, of that vision. No, not a part of me anymore. And so that's why it's called the putting away, the putting away. He does this, he leads her, he leads her by example of his love. Oh, it's like the way Eisenhower used to talk about leading Eisen, President Eisenhower. He used to put a string on the, on the table and he says, watch, and he would take the string and pull it along. He says, this is how you lead men. He says, you lead, people will follow you. He says, now look, he says, and then he tried to push the string. It doesn't go anywhere. He said, you can't lead by pushing. Now, she takes on his name. Adam become, I mean, Eve becomes Mrs. Adam. Right? And so she, well, she didn't have another name to drop, you know, but that's what happens. You, you drop the family name, unless you come from Mexico, and then you just add it to the 42 other names that you carry along. But anyway, uh, and she stands there in Psalm 45:10 when it speaks about, it says, Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. See, there is a leaving in order to cleave. He takes possession of her. Adam took possession of him. And we know this makes God very, very happy because he hates divorce. In Malachi 2.16, it says, the Lord God of Israel say that he hates putting away. And he calls divorce dealing treacherously. Treacherously. All right, now there's this fundamental law of marriage here in verse 24 of the leaving and the cleaving. In verse 24, it's interesting that it's not the woman who is said to have to leave the father and the mother, who is, well, it's obvious, there's only two. It's the man, right? It's not a democracy. We're talking about a leadership in the terms of the man. How could it be a democracy? There's only two votes. You can't have a democracy with two votes. You have a stalemate. But the man takes this special commitment to leave his family. And there's a social part, and there's a physical part. The leave is the social part. That's like the social announcement of the marriage or the social commitment that a man has left his father and his mother for his wife. And then there's the physical part. Cleave from the Hebrew word debak means to cling to. It also means to chase down, but I don't want to go there. 
And so this is what's, this is referring to sex. Sex is good. Sex is not spelled S-I-N. Sex is good. It's a physical act of marriage. Came from God. It's, a, it's not mentioned first in the context of procreation, making babies. It's mentioned here first in the context of becoming one, of the celebration of a partnership of the, for the pleasure of man and wife. So you can think about that and, and why, why contraception is not sinful. So to have this physical union without the social part, without the social commitment, that's sin. That's fornication. But there's a new union which is described here, an echad, an echadness, this oneness that's a picture of God, where a man freely chooses his wife, where the woman freely chooses her husband, and they together have this relationship of loyalty, of affection, of dependence on each other, and it's no more that relationship between the father and the mother, but this is the more important, even surpassing the relationship of the parents to the children. And God's at the center of all this. And this is God's idea. God's idea is a monogamous life. Every time you see in the Bible polygamy, whether it's with Abraham or Jacob or Manoah or David or Solomon, you see trouble. Because this was not God's idea. And let me give you a quote. To not see marriage as a divine institution as it is here is to open the door to divorce, adultery, polygamy, and various kinds of live-in and trial marriage arrangements. You know who said that? Very important. I said that. (laughs) I did. 30 years ago, January 31st, 1982, standing right here, last time I taught this passage here. That was what I said. I wrote it down. To not see marriage as a divine institution is to hear open the door. Now look what I listed. Divorce, adultery, polygamy, various kinds of live-in and trial marriage arrangements. Is it a little outdated? What's missing from the list? I didn't say homosexuality. Why? Because no one ever thought, talked about homosexuality 30 years ago. That was a closet sin. Homosexuals are coming out of the closets. Christians are going back into the closets, taking their place. It's an abom- it was an abomination. It is an abomination. Homosexuality is so shameful, and yet it is so an offense to God. It's against God. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is not man's idea. It was God who said that one woman, one man make up a marriage. And this is not the Republicans' idea. This is not the idea of the right. This is not the idea of the conservatives. It's not any man's idea. It's God's idea. Marriage between one man and one one woman. So if man had devised marriage for the good of society as a social institution, then he could change it. He could change it if that's what he wanted to do. It's incredible that last week President Obama came out and stated that he was going to go on record as the first president to support homosexual marriages. Now, he, I didn't even understand why he did that. He didn't have to do that. Politically, he had all the votes of that group of people, of the, of the homosexuals. So why did he do that? Because to support homosexual marriages is to be against God. And when he did that, he made the election coming up very, very clear, not really to be about choosing or not a choosing Obama, but the election is now very clear to be about choosing or not choosing to be against God. That's the issue now. 
All right, so what have we seen in Genesis 2? Genesis 2 are a series of relationships. The first and most important is the upward relationship between God and man. That gives man his inner life, brings him a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose. Second relationship, the horizontal between man and a wife. That brings a completeness, a help as they both are for each other. And the third one, the downward between man and animals. That's a relationship of kindness to animals where they serve man. When all of these relationships are working harmoniously as they should, that is a state which is called in the Bible the state of shalom. That's what shalom means. Shalom does not just the absence of wars and the absence of conflicts. It's a state of, it's describing a state of harmonious relationships between man and the Lord Jesus Christ, between man and his wife, between man and the animals and so forth. And we're going to see how the ne- in the next chapter, sin destroys each one of those relationships one by one and brings the state of no shalom. But the Lord Jesus Christ, thank God, is called in Isaiah 9-6, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. He's called that because he alone is able to restore that state of shalom that sin has destroyed. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, not only recording for us what happened in the great destruction, but also for intervening and for being the great restorer. Help us, Lord, to have the confidence to come to you, to yield ourselves to you every day, that you might, Lord, bring to us back what sin has destroyed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, Tom, you mentioned Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, where it said that we're to remember our past. Now, I know myself and a few other listeners out there have always thought that we should forget our past. And in what way are we really supposed to remember the past rather than forget it? Well, it's very interesting in Ephesians 2, 11, because it says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in the past Gentiles in the flesh, God has saved us with a great salvation. Like the ten lepers, there was only one after he was cleansed that turned around and yelled with a loud voice, Thank you. Why did he turn around and the other nine didn't? Because he remembered that he was a leper, and now he wasn't. And the other 10 just said, I'm going to forget that I was ever a leper. There's no more remembrance of that with me, so there was no basis for them to be thankful. That's why we should remember our past, not remember our past so that we have an opportunity to return to our past, no, but remember our past so that we can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and thank him for what he saved us out of. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We remember that we were, some of us were, fornicators, immoral, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, 
homosexuals, abusers of ourselves with mankind. And we remember that some of us were thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. But he says that was your past. And he says, but now you are washed. You are washed from all these things. So when you remember them, you remember that you were washed from them. You were sanctified. You were justified from all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we remember these things in order that we can thank God and remember what we were washed from, what we were sanctified from, what we have been justified from. We have been justified from all these things. We've been washed and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, by God, and therefore we give thanks. That's the way in which we remember our past in order to be eternally grateful for what God has saved us from. Tom, today you also talked about wives and husbands, and it seems like that the more time goes on, that the more wives seem to drop obedience, seem to not obey uh, the vows that maybe they had in the marriage ceremony, because it's unpopular for a wife to promise to obey her husband. What does really the Bible say about that? Well, you know, it's so true that, uh, I mean, uh, in, in my 62 years, uh, I've gone to quite a few weddings, and I remember back in the 60s and 70s, it was just part of the marriage vows. The woman would say, I promise to obey. But I remember as time went on that that part just became more and more missing, conspicuous by its absent, and unpopular for a wife to promise to obey her husband. Well, the Bible does have perfect balance on this issue because this has been abused by men. And in Ephesians 5.22, it does say that wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So in other words, do men, do we have a problem submitting ourselves to God? Absolutely. It's a daily battle. Wives also submit themselves and have a problem submitting themselves to the Lord. But God says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. And we as men should be kind and gentle to our wives as God is kind and gentle and understanding to us. When we don't submit ourselves, men, to the Lord, does the Lord immediately judge us? No, he's patient. And he teaches us, so we should be patient also. And he encourages us to submit ourselves to him by being kinder to us and being more lovely to us. That's our pattern, husbands. It's our pattern, men. Because it says in verse 23 of of Ephesians 5 that the husband is the head of the wife. And as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church— And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, you look at the great opportunity you have to be God's picture book, to be God's three-dimensional teaching lesson to the world. Because as you are submitting yourselves to your husbands, that's showing the world, men, 
and women how they should submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And husbands, that's why the balance of all this is verse 25, where God says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, do you see the Lord Jesus Christ demanding of you? Now you submit to me, you submit to me. No, you see the Lord Jesus Christ loving you. And so in that way, you and your response to your wife should be love. Love your wives, that's why it says, even as Christ also loved the church. And exactly how did the husband love the church? He sacrificed himself for the church. He sacrificed his own interest. It was in his interest to stay in heaven. It was in his interest to not go to the cross. It was in his interest to not be beat to a bloody pulp. But he sacrificed those interests of his that he might give himself for the church. Husbands, you have and we have the opportunity to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of our wives. And verse 26 Why? Why did the Lord do this? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. As we sacrifice ourselves, men, for our wives, we make our wives more lovely. We make our wives more beautiful. And that's why God says we should do that, because the Lord did that for us. In verse 27, It says the Lord did that for us that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We sacrifice ourselves for our wives. Let's give an example. For example, let's say that our wife wants to buy a beautiful dress and what that means is that we'll be having to give up money so that we won't be able to buy whatever it is we want to buy. And that would be a sacrifice on our part to let her buy the beautiful dress. But what do we do? If we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, we give her the money and let her buy the beautiful dress and we sacrifice ourselves, and she looks more beautiful in that. That's just a one example of how when we sacrifice ourselves, we actually are no fool because she's looking more beautiful. When we sacrifice ourselves, we make her happier and she becomes more beautiful. As just as the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us, makes us happy, a more glorious church, we don't have the sin that we had before, holy without blemish. So verse 28 says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You know, before there comes the attack, there comes the shove. And the shove away is the message of you are different and separate from me. But you know, when we cling to our wives or cleave, as God says, then what we do is we say, there is no separation. There is no you and me. There is just the us and we. And when you see it that way, then you see that to love your wife is to love your body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, 
and of his bones. So we look at our wives and we say, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is a person to be nourished. This is a person to be treasured. That's really what's behind that word cherished. We cherish what we treasure. This is our treasure. We take care of our treasure. We protect our treasure. We make sure that our treasure is safe and we build up our treasure. That's, men, how we are to treat our wives as our treasure that God has given to us. That's how the Lord takes care of us. He protects us. He he nourishes us with his word. He is jealous over us with a godly jealousy. That's what it means to be godly husbands and wives. And if your heart is broken today because you know that the Jewish people do not have the Lord Jesus Christ to be their example of how to be the loving husband who nourishes and cherishes, if you know that your Jewish friends are outside the fold and that breaks your heart, and you want to do something about it in your lives, and you have a desire to go door to door to the Jewish people, making the great offer of God, the offer of God to be reconciled to God, the offer of God to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive the cleansing, to become a part of his bride we've been talking about, to become a part of the glorious church. Then call 1-800-247-3051. We have a job for you in Southern California, reaching the Jewish people. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor teaches our new Thursday-Friday message series from Exodus. Now, as you heard Tom Cantor speak about, Israel Restoration Ministries is looking for full-time couriers to take the gospel to the Jewish people in Southern California. If you're interested in going door-to-door to reach these lost Jewish people, please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. If you'd like any Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, videos, please call us today again at 1-800-247-3051 or go to israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.